While your day is winding down, they're just getting started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day, from local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard, to listen, and where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. Welcome to South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus. So um, we've got a really good show ahead for you. Chris will be back tomorrow. And tomorrow we have the Ward 3 City Council debate between Carmen Amaral and Sean Oliver. They're both going to be in attendance. I understand there was a little bit of confusion earlier in the day on whether or not both candidates have confirmed. They both have confirmed and they will both be here tomorrow. Looking forward to speaking with them. Looking forward to hearing what they have to say about the issues. And uh, I hope you all are too. It'll be me, Chris, and Jack Splane moderating the debate. It'll be one hour commercial free tomorrow. I'll be plugging it throughout the um, throughout the evening. But the Ward 3 City Council debate is happening. Both candidates will be here and will be here moderating. So looking forward to that tomorrow at 7. Tonight, we've got a great show ahead uh, ahead for you. We've got Will Senna of the New Bedford Light. He covers um, basically the waterfront. And uh, he's going to talk about some of the uh, most recent pieces he has on, um, you know, uh, catch share regulations. And uh, there was a recent interesting piece about a a fisherman who had been... um, nabbed on uh, tax evasion so we'll talk to will in the eight o'clock hour he's going to be in studio with us and you give us a call during that segment at 508-996-0500 but to start the program uh i have a returning guest from last night dr brian glenn williams uh you know we talked a lot about what happened uh you know what's going on in russia and uh the war in ukraine and there was a major development so i wanted to get him back on the show for a follow-up hey professor how are you Good, Marcus. How are you doing? Good. So we're here with Dr. Brian Glenn Williams. He uh, works at um, UMass Dartmouth. For people who don't know uh, and people may, who may not have tuned in last night, can you just give us your, a little bit of your background? Yes. So uh, I formerly taught uh, at, at the University of London. Uh, I arrived at UMass Dartmouth in, in 2001 uh, to focus on Islamic history uh, with a focus on my field work uh, in Afghanistan and Iraq. Uh, I actually worked uh, for the U.S. military uh, in regional command east uh, in Afghanistan and also for the CIA uh, counterterrorism tracking suicide bombers uh, uh, in the Afghan east. Uh, but more apropos to tonight's event, uh, I spent time in Russia and the Soviet Union and Ukraine uh, going back to the mid-1980s, and I've written two books uh, on the Crimea and one book on Russian war uh, in Chechnya. And um, you, uh, you, you know, we talked uh, last night. Um, we talked last night about you, you know you delivered a speech to the European Parliament uh, recently on uh, on Russian genocide. You were talking with uh, some vil- some civilian forces that were buying drone technology. Pretty interesting stuff. I'll um, I'll ask people to go back to the um, to the podcast to listen to that episode. It was really good, and I can see from the downloads that a lot of people are interested in it as well. But. Um, but, uh, uh, Dr. Glenn Williams, the reason I had you on is from the time that we spoke to the, uh, this time today, there's been a major development in the, um, uh, in the war in Ukraine, or at least in terms of Putin's sort of imperial vision. And it's that he has, uh, he has said he's going to pull 
out of the START Treaty. Now, can you um, just sort of explain what the START Treaty is and what does it mean for Putin to pull out of it? Yeah, so the START Treaty is a, a nuclear arms reduction treaty uh, that's been signed over the decades and renewed. Uh, it was renewed uh, in Prague back in 2010. Uh, what it's meant to do is, is stop a nuclear arms race between the countries with the two largest nuclear arsenals, uh, Russia and the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the main provision of it uh, that prevents uh, the spiraling arms race is the inspections. Uh, these inspections uh, allow the U.S. to go into Russia and inspect its nuclear weapons uh, and vice versa. Uh, the understanding is that this will create trust and verification of what we have and what we're you know, claiming to have. And uh, as Reagan once said, trust but verify. Uh, uh, this treaty... Uh, sort of was put on hold in 2020 uh, due to COVID. And then just uh, uh, today uh, in the National Assembly, uh, Vladimir Putin uh, announced that he was pulling out, or, or just, he said suspending, which is a key term here. He's suspending sure. uh, Russian participation uh, in this regime, this treaty uh, that uh, has so far you know, uh, limited this arms race that everybody fears. So, um, we talked last night. Well, when you said it got put on hold, what does that what does that uh, what does that mean? Like the the process of the verification process got put on hold. Yeah. So what it means is he's suspending uh, the rights of, of American inspectors uh, to go into the Russian Federation uh, and uh, okay. inspect its various nuclear sites. Okay. So um, you know, last night we talked a lot about. Um, how Putin's decision to invade Ukraine has been a miscalculation in terms of the number of, um, you know, uh, soldiers he's lost, the ground he's lost, the damage it's done to the economy. Um, what, is this a desperation tactic? Absolutely. I mean, I, I think you nailed it on the head there. You know, uh, look at the facts on the ground here. This, this decision of his to launch this so-called special military operation uh, and invade the democratic uh, West-loving free country of Ukraine, and try uh, doing an Iraq, you know, Operation Shock and Awe-style decapitation blitz that was just the last three days has blown up in his face. It's become a strategic and economic and political quagmire for Russia. It's crashed and crunched, you know, crashed the economy. Uh, it's led to a brain drain. It's led to 60,000 Russian deaths in just one year. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you include uh, casualties, were wounded at over 200,000. So uh, it has been a tactical and strategic blunder. Uh, he's being humiliated on the battlefield by these brave Ukrainians and the brave uh, leadership of Zelensky. And, of course, the arsenal of democracy, the leader of the free world, the USA, is backing uh, the Ukrainians with everything from M1A1 Abrams tanks to uh, shoulder-fired Stinger anti-aircraft missiles and anti-tank javelins to probably the most effective weapon, uh, these HIMARS, these high-mobility artillery rocket systems that devastated uh, the Russian lines and allowed the Ukrainians to go on an offensive and shock the world by taking half of the territory Russia conquered uh, back in about a month, back in September. So in frustration and desperation, as you said it, uh, he's lashing out and trying to saber-rattle and intimidate the West with the only thing he has left, uh, which is the weapon of the week, almost like Kim Jong-un in North Korea with his constant claims about launching these Taipodong stage missiles uh, towards Alaska. It's, it's saber-rattling and a, a desperate act by a man who has nothing else left to offer at, at this stage. 
So we're speaking with um, you, we're speaking with Dr. Uh, Brian Glenn Williams. He's a professor at UMass Dartmouth, a foreign policy expert. So, um, so you're saying it's, it's saber rattling. So this is basically he's just puffing his chest out. Is there any? Is there any? Do you think at this juncture there's any cause for uh, alarm um, with this announcement? Anytime you pull it out of a framework like this that is meant to make the world, world stable and to uh, develop trust between uh, two major nuclear powers, you know, it does make the world less stable. So I wouldn't be alarmist. I wouldn't say we're back to the stage you were back, you know, in the Kennedy and Khrushchev uh, back in the early 60s uh, with the Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, but it does sow further distrust uh, at a time when, you know, we want to keep the, the communication channels open uh, with Putin. And I think uh, it breeds this sort of climate of isolationism in Russia and us against the world. And, you know, there's a lot of call. I watch Russian TV regularly, and it's almost regular on TV for these television hosts on the equivalent of, you know, Fox News uh, to come on and say we need to use nukes. And, and the former president, Dmitry Medvedev, has called for using nukes. So there's a lot of loose, irresponsible language in Russia. And, uh, you know, I hope that this message doesn't sort of reach the nuclear arm command uh, in Russia and, and make them more trigger happy. I don't think I don't see it happening uh, because, of course, we need to rely upon the, the concept of mutually assured destruction. So, um, so that's what. You, so, mutually assured destruction um, is basically. Uh, can you can sort of explain what you mean by that? It's basically like you know you're not going to start doing you know you're not going to start launching nukes because if we start launching nukes. Uh, if we, if you do, we do, and then we're we're all gone, right? Is that is that more or less yeah. what it is? Yeah, that's exactly what it is, Marcus. I mean, I think you know the Russians have more nukes than we have. Yeah, it's about six thousand, I believe. That's my check. So, so they have more nukes than us, and some people worry about that. But that's almost irrelevant uh, because when you have enough nuclear weapons to destroy the world multiple times over, right. it, it doesn't matter how many times you, you can crisp New York or crisp uh, uh, Moscow with, with wave after wave of uh, ICBM intercontinental ballistic missiles. Uh, so I think that's where we are now. I think uh, when both sides realize that uh, if you're trying to do a tactical maneuver or a strategic maneuver in a country like Ukraine, uh, and it fails, like, as we did in Vietnam, uh, or Russia is doing catastrophically, and it's much worse version of Vietnam. You know, they lost more in one year than we lost in 10 years in Vietnam. Uh, it doesn't behoove you to annihilate your own race, uh, annihilate humanity. And don't forget that Putin's objective in this whole war is to make Russia great again and to assure his legacy as a, you know, a new uh, Catherine the Great or, or Peter the Great. So uh, we, have to, we have to rest assured tonight that they don't want to annihilate their women and children. There's a famous song by Sting uh, in the 1980s called Russians, and, and it says, I hope the Russians love their children too. I think we have to um, uh, trust Sting's analysis that perhaps the Russians do love their children as much as we do. So we're speaking with um, we're speaking with Dr. Brian Glenn Williams from uh, he's a, a foreign policy uh, expert and a professor at UMass Dartmouth. So so the other thing we talked we touched on this a little bit, but um, there was some I think more breaking news today that um, G, uh, President Xi from China is going to visit um, Russia uh, in light of this you know. Putin making his state of the, uh, you know, his sort of the, his version, of, his version of the State of the Union address, and talking about pulling f- out from this the START treaty. Um, what does it mean for the president of China to actually make a physical visit um, to to Putin? 
I, I think it is causing problems and fear in Washington. Uh, you know, the last thing we want to do is have Russia, which has been so successfully isolated by the regimes launched by the Biden administration that have crippled the economy and and helped cripple its, its military industry. They're not getting the chips for their drones or their mm-hmm. smart bombs anymore. Uh, they're not selling their oil abroad. Uh, the last thing we want to do uh, is have the world's second largest economy, China, somehow actively participate in supporting Putin's misadventure in Ukraine. Thus far, the Chinese have vocally supported the war and mouthed, you know, Russian propaganda about how Russians have to invade Ukraine because they're all Nazis. Uh, but they haven't really supported them with uh, military help or even non-military help. They've sort of been wary, essentially, about joining a losing side. You know, what mm-hmm. does China benefit to itself uh, by jumping in this war and supporting this catastrophic quagmire? They, they get nothing out of it so far. Uh, but we had these balloon incidences in the last couple of weeks, and uh, that caused tension uh, with the Chinese. Uh, so I sort of see it in that context. You know, I, I think uh, there's fears that China might support uh, Russia, which is running out of, uh, of artillery shells, for example. Uh, but what remains to be seen, you know, I think I'd be speculating on what they're going to say. Uh, but at this point, I don't see China having any initiative to join the losing side and, of course, hurt itself economically. You know, they're very, very focused on their economy, which is very global compared to Russia's. I don't see them having an initiative or incentive to join Putin in this war that's gone so poorly for him. So, um, with respect to uh, Putin's uh, address, you know, other than the, um, other than than saying he's going to suspend the START treaty, you know, what I thought was interesting is he said, uh, "We're not going to, you know, we're not going to start doing testing unless the United States does." Does does that sound like sort of an a de facto way of, of honoring at least in part some of the treaty? Exactly. You know, I, I, I watched the treaty and I, I, I honed in on, on that exact phrase. You know, he said, we're not going to do the testing and, and break these protocols unless the U.S. does. And he also said that his, his, um, his key words, he said that uh, uh, Russia's suspension of its participation in the, the START arms reduction treaty could, was reversible. He said, quote, unquote, it was reversible. Uh, so okay. that means, you know, that it can be reversed. It's not permanent. Uh, and that, you know, if, if things do, God willing, calm down, we do have a, a sort of end to hostilities, a cessation of hostilities in Ukraine, uh, that we could once again see Russia join the START Treaty and, and un, you know, unsuspend itself and, and participate in these uh, uh, inspection regimes. It says a lot, I think, about his seriousness that, that he, even in his speech announcing this, he gave himself at least a couple of... Uh, rhetorical escape hatches right yeah you know he gave russia an off-ramp you know yeah. if there is uh you know a, a push to the brink I, that he can pull back from the brink and and uh and not do what uh, what I, I think russian people are fear of as much as we do mm-hmm. which is push us to the brink of, of a nuclear armageddon yeah so is there anything else in that speech besides um talking about the start treaty is there anything else in that speech that was um that was noteworthy uh that you think yeah yeah, I, 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 I thought, and I think you did too, the one thing that, that struck out to me the most was that he blamed the entire war on America. Yeah. Uh, he said that America invaded Ukraine, that America started the war. Yeah. You know, so they, they live in a parallel universe uh, in, in this propaganda-filled desinformation world uh, in Russia. And in this speech, he 
to blame the whole thing, not upon the Russian invasion, what the whole world saw on February 24th with this massive army of 190,000 burgeoning into uh, trying to take Kiev and killing tens of thousands and wiping out cities and raping people. No, no, he blamed it all on America, that America actually uh, launched the war. So uh, that struck me as the sort of alternative universe that he's constructing for his audience. Uh, we're all watching this, this broadcast, the National Assembly, uh, on Russian TV. So um, I want to say it's simultaneously, but it's not really. I don't know if it was simultaneous. It was close to simultaneous, right? Biden was delivering a speech um, to the Ukrainian people. I don't know if you had a chance to watch that and if you had any impressions from it. Yes, you know, I think Biden's visit uh, to Kiev was tremendously symbolic, as was his, his speech uh, in Warsaw today. Um, now think about this. Here you have Vladimir Putin, the man who launched the war, and he's never even gone to the front lines. Uh, he's cowering uh, in the Kremlin, and uh, he has a whole train system built to keep him safe below, below ground. Uh, he's gone nowhere near the front line to support his own troops who are being ground down in this meat grinder and, and killing can, can you, can, Well, hold on. Can you backpedal a little bit on that? I, I didn't know that. So he's got a, a an underground system of trains to keep him out of, uh, basically, out of the conflict? Yeah. You know, it, I think the news just popped out about four days ago. I, I didn't okay. know about this. Uh, they built, you know, underground train stations and, and a whole network of armored train uh, links uh, in Moscow wow. just for Putin. So, you know, I, I think this is an extravagance that shows just how, uh, you know, terrified uh, and bunkered mentality uh, Putin is. Uh, so that speaks to Putin's same of mind. On the other hand, you have uh, Joe Biden flying into a war zone. And walking, we walked around in public in broad daylight with almost no guards. He went there with almost no bodyguards uh, on a train from Poland into Kiev, which is regularly shelled with uh, Russian Excalibur cruise missiles and bombed with a Russian Sukhoi and MiG jets. And, you know, hundreds of uh, people have been killed recently and buildings have been destroyed. But yet Biden is there. And this is unprecedented. In history of America, a president has never uh, flown in to the middle of a, of a war zone and done what Biden did. Uh, and that speaks volumes. It sends a message to Putin. On the eve of his big talk, it, it sort of stole the oxygen uh, from Putin's talk. And it was all over Russian media, of course. There's Biden walking around in broad daylight in Kiev. Uh, and it sends a message of strength and steadfastness to Putin, who thought that America was weak, America was fickle, America was retreating from Afghanistan, retreated from Iraq, that we would uh, not you know, hold the line, as we've done uh, for a year now uh, in Ukraine, and it sends a message to Ukrainian people, we, America, are with you to the end, and we're not going to pull out, we're not going to abandon you the way Trump did the Syrian Kurds uh, in Iraq, uh, I'm sorry, in Syria, uh, in October of 2019, or we did the Afghans under Biden uh, in August of 2021. So I, I think we're in this for long haul, and his, his, his talk today in Warsaw was such a juxtaposition to Putin's uh, almost maniac, saber rattling. Uh, Biden was eloquent and he spoke about unity of NATO. Uh, he promised that NATO would stay unified and defiant, that America will continue as the arsenal of democracy uh, to support a fellow democracy of Ukrainians. Uh, and I, I think it'll go down as perhaps the most important uh, speech so far of his, of his tenure, and certainly the most important overseas visit uh, of any president in decades. 
Dr. Brian Glenn Williams, a professor at UMass Dartmouth. So um, before I let you go, Brian, I appreciate you following up uh, in light of the news that had come uh, shortly after our um, after our interview last night. I don't typically make it a habit to have a guest on two nights in a row, but with this topic and your expertise, I thought it was, uh, it was necessary and I really enjoyed the conversation. So before I let you go, um, where can people go to learn more about your work uh, and, um, you know, the, the books you've published and that? Yeah, well, thanks for having me on again, Marcus, and thanks for the chance to uh, share my work uh, with your listeners. Uh, so should you be interested in my my field research uh, in Ukraine, uh, Crimea, and, and Russia, not to mention other war zones like Iraq, uh, Syria, and uh, Afghanistan, uh, please see my uh, my website at brianglynwilliams.com. And the Glynn is G-L-Y-N. Dr. Will- uh, Dr. Glenn Williams, I appreciate you coming on, and we'll uh, we'll talk soon. That was Dr. Brian Glenn Williams. Like I said, I don't typically make it a habit to have a guest on two nights in a row, but with this subject matter and his expertise and that breaking news, I thought it was important uh, to to have um, somebody with that level of expertise and experience on the program to talk a little bit about um, the you know the news that had transpired today um, in the on the foreign policy front we like to keep it local here but we had a local voice that's really uh one of uh leading a national conversation like we do in congress with congressman jake ockenclaus and bill keating so we have them on to talk about that as well so um with that we're going to move on uh probably unless you want to give us a call at 508-996-0500 that's how you can get on the program this evening so uh and again a reminder at eight o'clock will senna of the new bedford light is going to be joining me he's been writing some interesting pieces uh about what's going on in the fishing industry um and i want to talk with him about that and we'll take your calls during that segment too if you want at 508-996-0500 so i'll tell you what we're going to take a break now and when we get back, we'll, uh, we'll we'll talk some more. This is South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus. 1420 WBSM. Show. I'm Marcus. 508-996-0500 is how you can join me this evening. That was Dr. Brian Glenn Williams. Appreciate his, um, his expertise in that area of uh, foreign policy. I think that's really, um, it's... It's really valuable uh, for conversations like these because it's it's a very complex endeavor, you know, discussing foreign matters. And so it really helps. Um, it really helps when you've got somebody who's, you know, been overseas or sort of been in the quote, you know, in, in, in the trenches, so to speak, of uh, a lot of these complicated uh, foreign policy matters. So that's the, those are the resources we try to tap into here on South Coast tonight when these big, you know, big, sometimes scary conversations are happening, um, you know, with the, the nuclear treaty and all of that. And so I appreciate Dr. Glenn Williams uh, joining uh, joining us this evening. But 508 996 say you can join me this evening. Uh, and let's go to the phones. Good evening. Hey, good evening. How you doing? Okay. Uh, gee, I wish you would stay on and take some questions because I got a, a few questions I would probably like to ask him about what he thinks about out there uh, yeah. in the in, in Russia and what's going on there. Um, first of all, uh, I don't know if uh, Russia should cozy up too close to the Chinese because I think the Chinese could turn around and say, "Hey, we're friends. 
well, okay, we'll give you this, give you that, and then all of a sudden maybe turn on the Russians. There's a long border there, you know, between the two of them. And uh, I don't know if China might have some ambitions in that area as well as, uh, you know, Taiwan and stuff. Yeah. So I wouldn't trust the Chinese uh, as far as I could throw, see them. You know, yeah, yeah I think, well, I think what I think he summed that uh, that up nicely, too, is, is with respect to um, China, is that they don't really, like... It doesn't serve it doesn't serve them well to get hyper involved in in this in this whole conflict to begin with, you know. Well, again, not not necessarily hyper involved, but set up the Russians that yeah, we'll help you, we'll help you, we'll help you. Then obviously they don't help them, and maybe even they attack them because, like I say, there's a long border between them and uh, China. Yeah. And uh, I, I think in the past, uh, you know, history that that's been disputed. Uh, so I would be careful there. The other thing about the Ukrainians being called Nazis by uh, Putin, yeah, I don't believe they're Nazis in, in that sense. But I think Putin is calling back in history when the Germans invaded Mother Russia. And then uh, after invading Mother Russia, the uh, Ukrainians welcomed the Russian troops. Yeah. And then all of a sudden the Russian troops started to stay, take all the uh, food and things that the Ukrainians had. And on the way out, the Ukrainians, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, uh, helped the Russians to uh, extricate the, uh, the Germans, uh, who were Nazis, okay? And then after that, from what I understand, uh, once the war was over, Stalin sent a few of his, uh, his uh, KGB people down there, and they got rid of the uh, Ukrainian leadership uh, that was down there and put something in that was more favorable to him. So this has been going on for a long time. And I think when... Uh, Putin talks about that. That's what he's trying to raise, the idea of, hey, remember the Ukrainians? They originally helped the Nazis. Yeah, I mean, I think that's in service to his narrative because he's yeah. saying is a denazification. They need a denazification. Yeah, yeah and, I th and I think that's what he's calling back on. Most Americans uh, probably are not aware of that, uh, you know, World War II history, and so consequently mm -hmm. it goes right over our heads. Uh, the other thing, I, I think if this war is going to end, uh, I, I think... Uh, there's going to have to be a lot of dissatisfaction with uh, Comrade Putin. And uh, maybe some of those people that are close to him, uh, I've heard stories that he's sick, uh, that he's not feeling well. And you've seen the pictures, too, in the past where he's talking with supposedly his, his subordinates and they're at a big table and they're miles away from him. Uh, that would seem like to me a guy that's afraid of being... Uh, probably betrayed, which you have a lot of in Russian history, too, betrayals of leaders that are there that become unpopular. And to me, if the war is going to stop, uh, that's probably the way it'll stop. Maybe mysteriously, Comrade Putin will get sick and die, and uh, maybe at that point, uh, whoever takes over the Russian government will try to uh, make some sort of uh, partial peace or something. Maybe uh, taking only those uh, eastern provinces that seem to be pro-Russian. Uh, and then maybe, too, because we, we've spent so much money and treasure there, we, uh, off the scenes, try to influence the Ukrainians to accept something like that at this uh, uh, you know, particular point. It seems as though, for Putin, it's a point of no return. Yeah, uh, yeah, you he, know? yeah, I know. But the, the way you know return him is uh, somebody takes over and he's gone as the head of the government. Yeah. I remember when Stalin was in power in the past, too, in the, I think, uh, early 50s. He died. And there was always a question of whether he died of natural causes or was he poisoned? Because right. Stalin wasn't a very good guy, and he ruled ruthlessly, too, by threats and terror. And even before World War II, he got rid of a lot of his generals uh, that he seemed to think were disloyal. And those generals were uh, 
uh, were basically some of the best generals that Russia had. The only one that survived was the one he relied upon was Zukov, okay? And, uh, you know, the only one that had the uh, guts to stand up to him and was able to, uh, you know, to withstand that and become a, uh, a hero of World War II. But uh, he had gotten rid of a lot of his generals before that time. And, again, to bring this out, you know, Russia and Germany had signed a non-aggression pact, which, of course, uh, you know, the uh, Germans uh, reneged on. Right. You know, so they, these everybody leaves that out, you know, that Russia became our allies. And, you know, they, they weren't always uh, in back of us because of that non-aggression pact with Germany. Uh, but then he, you know, Stalin was, you know, and uh, from what I understand, too, in, in my, my study of history in the past, <laughs> Uh, when the yeah, so Germans, for people who don't know, Stalin died of a, the, the reported death was a brain hemorrhage. Yeah, I know, but it was yeah. always a question of whether or not it was, uh, he was poisoned. Sure. And of course, nobody ever got a chance to, you know, do any autopsy. I think he was probably, uh, embalmed and that would stop anything done too. I think he was on display there as Lenin was at one time. Mm -hmm. Uh, but again, too, I, I, I believe just before World War II, uh, part of that friendship between Stalin and Hitler, which uh, Hitler t uh, tore up, I think because of the, the Versailles Treaty, some German pilots trained in Russia, too, I believe, yeah. uh, before the war, you know. So uh, these alliances, whether they be with Russia or China, uh, you better look very yeah, closely right. at who you uh, ally with, uh, yes. you know. And uh, again, I think if, if that war is going to end, it's going to have to be done by the Russian people. Watching tonight's news on uh, NBC, uh, they had their... Uh, correspondent in, in in russia uh interviewing young russian people about uh politics and what was going on it was a young woman and a young man and both of them uh, did not want to make any remarks about uh what was going on because uh, maybe it's not called kgb now but there'd be a knock on their door in the night and all of a sudden they'd be whisked off to siberia right. uh, which has always been the the tradition whether it's uh you know, a, a Putin or a comrade like Stalin or a Russian czars. If you would disagree, it's not the United States. Uh, you can be quickly taken away. Yeah. And sometimes your family can be punished as well. So it's a whole different world. And uh, I really think if this thing is going to end, and I think the United States would, if somebody out of Russia came out of there and said, hey, um, uh, you know, comrade Putin's passed and uh, we'd like to, you know, end the war and maybe just retain some of the provinces in the east that were pro-Russian. Uh, maybe there might be some uh, pressure by the United States, uh, you know, not really out there to have uh, uh, the... I think it's a matter like of that. leverage, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I think, you know, at this point, if, uh, if it is as grave of a miscalculation as it is, there's no reason to cede any territory. Um, I know. You, you know. want to fight a, a nuclear war over this, you know. Right. You well, don't want to yeah. let it get that far out of his hand. Uh, again, I, I think mutually assured destruction. Yeah, yeah. Like Kennedy the... said, or Theodore Sorensen, his yeah. speechwriter said, where the fruits of victory will surely be ashes in the victor's mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Kennedy was very eloquent. I don't know if it's him or Theodore Sorensen, but I think he made that. Uh, Probably a little bit of both. Yeah, yeah. that, yeah, that uh, statement just at American University just before his assassination. Yes. When he was talking about, uh, you know, the East and the West and all that sort of stuff. I wish we had politicians like that today that could you know you know lay it on the line like that to make both sides understand unfortunately uh, slow joe again i i think one of the things that has made this all happen is the way joe got out of afghanistan that made it made the united states look terrifically weak well 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 well, well okay, to be ahead. clear we lost a war and so there was no such scenario in which like the Afghanistan, the war in Afghanistan was a losing effort by the United States, and, and Vietnam was. 
and and there was no amount of strategic pulling out that probably could have made it look like anything less than what it was, which was well, a total embarrassment. Don't you think the military, it might have not been as quick as it was done, uh, but probably could have done something to make the, the withdrawal more gradual so it didn't look like, uh, you know, you have these people running on... Uh, on uh, you know uh, runways to try to get on on planes that are locked up. That, but, uh, was, a, that was a bad image. Uh, I think optics. the yeah no op- optics were bad, but yep. I think ultimately you're you're I think I don't know. It's tough to see a scenario in which we spent twenty years. I mean, uh, twenty years abroad under you know completely false pretenses. Can we say the, lo- the war was lost? It was won for the people it needed to be won for. Sounds like Vietnam. Yeah, it when was one. Got guys going off the roofs on helicopters trying to get back to the United States. Exactly. I, I still think our military could have probably uh, had some sort of withdrawal that looked a little bit more formal, which we would have been uh, taking down our flag with a brass band playing and uh, holding off the... Uh, I think the end result would have been the same. Uh, uh, probably, but it, it, again, I always say to you, looks contribute to reality. And one of the, that wasn't a good look. And it might have given Putin the idea that, hmm, if the... You know, people in Afghanistan and the, 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 the Taliban. No, I don't know about yeah, that. Well, I, I think, again, looks contributory. Putin, reality. Putin's had a long history of aggression that, that, that dates back to, to even George yeah, Bush. Putin, Putin's, Putin's KGB. Uh, he's, you know, <laughs> barbarian, let's face it. Okay. But I, I think our military people probably, and I think, let's put it this way, if Trump was there, right, I think Trump would have probably had that type of withdrawal gradual and if the taliban went crazy there would have been some big bombs going off someplace to do some damage which the uh taliban we left all that equipment behind and everything yeah really. but that was never going to come back again that that, that 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 it's not like they were going to what were they going to do they're going to like round that all that was never going to come back it was never meant to come back well that again, equipment was a jobs program it did not look very orderly the way we withdrew from there yeah. and well the the whole thing was is that that was a 20 that was a 20 year capital venture and it was really nothing more than that i, I understand so, so but, there was no there was no like oh if we do this in a nice way because it was already it was always a house of cards to maintain it was always a house of cards to maintain the dignity of the united states there is but there is no dig, the, the the dignity the United States military force is one thing, but there's no dignity in the foreign in the foreign policy venture that was no, the Iraq and, and Afghanistan war. That. I understand that he inherited that, but I think we had people there that were on our side that were deserted. Okay, yeah. and that doesn't look good. That L- doesn't look listen, like a strong problem. I'm real backed up on commercials. If you want to okay, call back later, friend. you're welcome. No, no, to. my friend. Okay, I've, All right. I've made my points. Thank you for right, listening great. to me. Thank okay. you. Bye bye. Download the WBSM app and listen to us everywhere. South Coast tonight. Real-time reaction to everything that happens after the sun goes down. South Coast tonight with Marcus and Chris is on WBSM. Real quick before we hit another break and you hear from our great commercial sponsors here. Um, the War 3 debate is tomorrow, 7 p.m. It's commercial free, actually commercial free here at wbsm so you can tune in carmen amaral sean oliver they will both be here we'll be here jack splain will be co-moderating with chris and me and it'll be a fun conversation um so definitely want to tune in for that you definitely want to tune in for the ward three special election debate here at wbsm or the last time there was a ward three special election debate it happened during this time slot 
before this time slot existed for local programming. Uh, Taylor Cormier actually moderated it uh, now at the Howie Carr Show between Hugh Dunn and Beth Photo. I remember. Um, so it's cool now that there's actual programming here, local programming here to facilitate these uh, these these debates that are really important. All right, so listen, I got to take this break. Uh, stay tuned. WBSM app is everything out the uh, first hour. Again, I want to thank Brian Glenn Williams, uh, professor at EMAS Dartmouth, for joining us. We've got Will Senat, reporter at the New Bedford Light. He's here with us. We'll be in studio. We'll also take your calls if you want at 508-996-0500 and take your messages on the WBSM app chat. Uh, I got a couple app chats that I won't be able to get into till like the 9 o'clock hour because it's not really pertinent to the conversation with Will, but I will.